Welcome to the World Architecture Festival podcast, sponsored by the Forest Stewardship Council, the world's most trusted sustainable forest management solution. Get your project certified with FSC to assure that the wood used in your project comes from well-managed forests. This series features recordings from the annual festival. Hear from architects discussing the latest innovations and challenges within the industry. Subscribe to always receive the latest episodes and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at WorldArcFest. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the first evening keynote at WAF 2019. It's my great pleasure to hand over chairing duties to uh, my colleague, Jeremy Melvin, who, like me, has been working on the festival since 2008. Please welcome Jeremy Melvin. Uh, thank you, Paul, and uh, welcome to all of you. The uh, lighting is such that I can barely see beyond the front row, so um, if I don't catch your eye or something, or I don't respond to some signal, then um, uh, please forgive me. Um, now, uh, the, our keynote speaker this evening is Mark Curler, who some of you may know through his, his work on open buildings, and others of you may remember that it, back in 2017, when we were in Berlin, uh, Mark won uh, the Director's Special Prize for an extraordinary housing project in the Amsterdam docks. And the story behind it unfolded that this was a way of uh, re-looking at the ideas of housing of the, uh, the, the, the frame and infill of the academic John Habracken, who uh, in the, started these ideas in the 1960s. And they've gone through three phases, as Mark will probably outline for us uh, in, uh, in his talk. One led by Habrakan and his immediate circle, uh, and then another in the 1970s. And the third now, where the, idea, the original idea was that the whole structure, the frame which would last longer than the infill, could be moved. It was demountable, it was... Uh, uh, easy to, to uh, take apart and re-erect. And now the third phase is more about permanence. And that has all sorts of implications, as those of you who have been at the Open Building Summit on the Festival Hall stage that Mark has also helped to uh, put together, uh, has enormous implications for uh, uh, cities and how we live, um, and how we finance our homes. I mean, the, the subject matter uh, on the Open Building Summit was very wide-ranging and I think uh, showed a number of points that we at WAF are very interested in. Indeed, as I was listening to some of these uh, panel sessions unfold, I kept on thinking of the points we made in the WAF manifesto about how you build in an uh, ecologically uh, sustainable way, how you uh, use... Uh, architecture and construction to try and bring about some form of social justice. In this case, not just in the field of housing, as was Habrakan's original intention, but also uh, in how you make more equitable cities, how you uh, bring parts of cities to life, how you create opportunities uh, that aren't just about where you live, but how you work, how you learn, and how you uh, have a social life as well. Now, um, I'm not going to try and uh, uh, summarize what happened on the Festival Hall stage because I think it was an extraordinarily rich feast. 
but I am sure, and I welcome with pleasure, Mark to the stage uh, to tell us about Habakkuk and the afterlife of his ideas. Thank you, thank you, Jeremy. Um, this is very exciting. This is a, a very big moment for the open building movement that we are picking up and creating. As Jeremy said, I'm not uh, the first person dealing with open building. Um, there have been several movements and there are actually current uh, groups all over the wor world talking about open building. And I'm very proud to actually contribute and built on the shoulders of these people with the work of um, my own company, Marcola Architects, but also the 15 architects involved in the open building uh, movement that we have created in the last six months in the Netherlands. Um, everything basically started with uh, winning the WAF award uh, two years ago for Superlofts. This was a great opportunity to uh, showcase the project and collaborate with many different parties, not only in the Netherlands, but also abroad. And um, resulted in that super lofts, which is the housing concept I'll, I'll talk about later, was actually yeah, repeated uh, in different sites, not only in the Netherlands, but also currently we are looking at other sites in other countries. And we are building this kind of network of Superlofts communities that are linked through our website, which I'll show later. Uh, and the idea is that the knowledge that is accumulated in this network actually is constantly um, renewed, updated, like an open system, and shared with local partners. So we often collaborate with uh, local architects and develop and design a project together. This doesn't mean that they all look different, all the sites uh, and we've done now about nine, ten sites. They all are kind of, there are similarities, but also differences. Uh, and you, you'll see more about that. So in the first site, which was called Casco Lofts and designed by uh, an architecture, architecture coalition called the Hoofden, which comprised five architects firms, and a co-op uh, of homeowners that united in a cooperative uh, union that we um, that controlled the development and also invested in the development without anybody uh, or any uh, let's say investor or real estate developer intermediating or uh, helping uh, this first was grassroots project really uh, tested many different uh, issues um, so in the first place all the units were duplexes or most of them and uh, completely empty and people build in their own uh, systems, so their own floor, walls, staircases, rooms. Uh, and we test different systems, steel floors, wooden floors, and so on. Uh, so it was like a huge experiment. And then I met uh, Habraken, uh, who uh, is, of course, known from his idea of supports. He wrote a book called The Supports. And the people, and this was published in 1966, The Drager and the Mensen. He was working for TU Eindhoven and then later for MIT. And he's really a visionary. His idea was that buildings uh, comprise out of support structures as well as infill systems. And um, 
that these infill systems can be dynamic and flexible and constantly updated over time if you disconnect them from the support, from the structure, the skeleton or the, the carrier. Um, we see this in office buildings all the time, but this was quite unique for housing. And um, this is basically the essence of what we're talking about. Uh, interestingly, in the six, end of the 60s and 70s, uh, different projects, experimental projects, took place in the Netherlands, such as this one from uh, Frans van der Werf, who's also here. And um, uh, Molenfleet uh, was a, let's say, a housing project in which every unit could be customized upon, uh, with different personal needs, uh, not only the floor plan, but also the facades. And, uh, also, the other project, Kajenberg, uh, I think is a very interesting example. As you can see here, mock-ups were built in which the homeowners could see their future uh, apartment. And by one-on-one -on -one conversations with the architects, uh, the homeowners could customize their own home. And this was, of course, revolutionary in the time of post-war architecture in which mass uh, housing meant repetitive and uniform boring, standardized housing. So what these guys from Habraken and his, his friends called the SAR tried to do was to create a, let's say, soft alternative to hard modernism, a personalized, customizable and social, uh, a human alternative to the, let's say, machine uh, for living of the Siam movement. And uh, these were the themes that they worked on, and they created their own language with these kind of symbols. I picked out some of the themes of the 60s that actually are repeated in this nice article from 2014. Individual, mass, dwellings, community, uh, mass housing, dwelling, do-it-yourself. All these aspects were already present in that time. So if I associate other books and theories of the time uh, that might have influenced these guys. I, of course, think of the modeler and unité habitation, which, of course, is not a flexible open building because it's hard to adapt the apartments to the individual uh, needs of, the, of each user. But it already introduced this idea of a structure in which you could uh, place in unique dwelling times. The only thing is they can't change over time. Homo Ludens by Johan Huizinga was a book from the 1938, important Dutch sociologist who came up with this theory of the playing man, a, a cult the, about uh, a social, sociologist theory about how we as human beings are actually um, devoted to the idea of play and how our lives are really organized about the idea of play. And the situationists from the 1960s like uh, that introduced uh, uh, ideas like the derive, they were also very influenced by his. But also uh, Constant Nieuwehuis with New Babylon uh, that you might know, that promoted this idea of a city that could grow and where people would build their own life and their own structures. It wasn't a utopian idea, but I think it really represents the idea that also Habraken has about uh, a structure that you can play in, play with. You can build your own world, you can uh, create your own uh, games. 
Of course, another book, A Pattern Language, from Christopher Alexander, that we all know, uh, links in the idea of analyzing patterns of the city, pattern of social behavior, patterns of spatial solutions, and how these spatial uh, situations evoke certain behavior. And a very interesting other book is Governing the Commons. Uh, Elinor Ostrom won um, a Nobel Prize for the theory of the uh, tragedy of the commons. And this is a criticism of how collective uh, systems have been corrupted by an over uh, focus on individual needs in the, our current time. And that uh, in order to establish kind of an ecological balance and a social balance in our cities, we need to re constitute a sense of collective shared ownership and shared consciousness and shared use. And Habraken, with this idea of the support, this idea of buildings having a structure that is collectively embedded and collectively uh, used and, and, and owned, actually represents this idea of architecture as kind of an infrastructure. Architecture as a collective, a building as a collective infrastructure that is occupied and inhabited by, by people that have a say about how things are being designed on the level of the infill. So this is rebalancing the shift, or the rebalancing the, the balance between individual and collective. Many, many books have been written about Habraken and his uh, ideas, and on our website, openbuilding.co, you can definitely see uh, and link up to them. It's www openbuilding.com. A very interesting publication that I can recommend is from ANA Architects, a Dutch firm that is part of our movement, and um, wrote this book, Learning from Multifunk, a couple of years ago. And uh, you can see more of our uh, group uh, in an audio tour that we have put online that guides you along different experimental projects that you find in Buiksloterham, the Brooklyn of Amsterdam, as I say, uh, and where you find about uh, eight of these revolutionary open buildings. Uh, these are some of the examples. And uh, the funny thing is that they were all developed by architects themselves, or most of them. So uh, the role of the architect also shifted. This was in the middle of the crisis, like 2010-2012, uh, that the municipality of Amsterdam uh, offered plots of land for tenders, and the real estate industry, the real estate developers, were not interested because there, there was a financial crisis and nobody could sell any houses. And this is when we, as, let's say, developing architects, took an opportunity to bid on these plots of land uh, with kind of more innovative uh, concepts than the standard market would offer. And now you've seen them coming to life. Uh, not all are finished, but most of them are being finished at the moment. And it's wonderful to see. They're all flexible, adaptable builds. They're all open. And uh, they are very community-driven. So they, the, the role of the user is very, very large. People uh, uh, share all kinds of facilities. Uh, they are very flexible and they are uh, extremely sustainable. So here, this is a map of where you can find some, and the audio tour 
is available on our website for everyone to use. These founding partners uh, have now yeah, shared with the ambition to bring open building to a larger audience and to share it with you. And we hope to invite you to also join our, our network. Um, little movie. Wat gebeurt er zeg maar in de afterlife? Dus als het gebouw gewoon klaar is met gebouw zijn. Is er een doelgroep waarvoor je maakt? Nee, mensen die het leuk vinden in zo'n gebouw te wonen. Dat is de doelgroep. Daar moet echt een andere manier van denken komen. Een veel meer open brain of open mind. En ik denk dat wij ook met Open Building Plan voor ons activistisch moeten opstellen. Als we door de stikstofdiscussie en CO2-discussie naar houtbouw moeten gaan, dan is dat open bouwen. Het Open Building principe is ook een principe, maar we moeten ook gewoon woningen bouwen. We have to address the circular buildings and affordable housing. How affordable is this system? Yeah, it sounds like an action movie. Um, <laughs> sorry for that. Um, I would like to go through 25 points that we have formulated that are a beginning of a kind of manifesto uh, for open building. And I'm, I'm curious to see what you think about it. They are not yet fully defined statements. They are more points to trigger your imagination. So in the first place, I think we can ask or quote or state that open buildings are the equivalent of an open mind. So leaving more space for imagination. Uh, it's about uh, uh, appropriating a space. It's th these are buildings that invite you to, to be creative and to play and have fun in your own space and to customize it in the way you want. As you see in the middle the sketch from Habraken, which I thought was amazingly fascinating, um, he is opening this imagination and inviting us in a completely new way, a dynamic way of life. On the right side, you see actually a Superloft's apartment where one of our uh, clients, own, the homeowner, put in a, uh, a caravan as a bedroom. So it really works. Then if you compare uh, different projects of our, our, let's say, collective, you notice different levels of open building. Maybe we can say that in some, the floor plans are uh, not designed to be uh, updated constantly in use or after use, but they are very flexible in the development phase. Like, for instance, in uh, stories uh, that is now under construction that is made completely of CLT, which in itself is quite extraordinary, uh, the apartments are very... Uh, or they, they are all different in the sense that all the homeowners had a say in how they customized their... Uh, what kind of apartments they wanted, and uh, how they look like. Um, in the second example, Blackjack, which is in the same canal, you see that uh, the, in the use phase, also the apartments are easy to adapt. Uh, Tom Fransen went a step further with Pets 22 in having this flexible, let's say, raised floor or technical floor that allows the apartments to also be easily reconfigured uh, when uh, people reuse them or sell them and, and a new owner comes in, which is actually also the case for, for Blackjack, but Pets22 goes a step further in this. And then Sikovo from Gaga is going even a step further in the sense that even the structure itself can be dismantled uh, 
and reused in a new site. In all of these cases, the buildings invite to stand there for hundreds of years because the facades, but also the infill systems, can constantly be updated and changed. The structure can survive for many, many decades or even hundreds and hundreds of years. And this is, of course, in itself a very sustainable uh, approach. If you don't need to re, uh, or destroy a building, you, win, you have a win, already a win situation. This, of course, is not new. If you, so my, the third statement would be that uh, before World War II, many buildings were open buildings. Uh, look at the canal houses, which were built out of brick walls with a timber floor system in between. This allowed these buildings to be used as office spaces, shops, housing, storage spaces, and so on, over decades and decades, and they're still standing. The timber floor system allows you to, to move your ducts and your electric cables and ventilation systems and so on in a much more flexible way than if you would have a concrete floor and put everything inside the concrete. So building with uh, these kind of, let's say, smart systems um, has really an advantage and buildings will last much longer. The other example, downtown Athletic Club from, uh, in New York, that you find in the book of uh, Rem, Delirious New York, is an example of a skyscraper in the 30s in which every floor had another program. So you could have an athletic men's club on the 30th floor, 20th floor and uh, an office uh, above and an apartment below. Another interesting comparison is that with lofts. So if you Google lofts, you see 85 million uh, results, and you see that loft spaces, so industrial workspaces being reappropriated into other functions, are super successful and extremely popular. They can be given any program, from hotels to restaurants to offices to residential. And this has to do with a couple of ingredients. In the first place, they're wide open spaces. They have a little bit of extra height that allows light to come in, uh, but also uh, a free and open division of uh, plants, an easy moving of elements. Um, but another aspect is they have a lot of light. So big windows bring daylight into the space very deeply, which also opens up the uh, flexible use of the whole floor plan. If we make small windows, the flexibility of the space will diminish. And we all understand that transforming office or workspaces into housing is very easy. Actually, it's very successful. And um, the other way around, however, going from housing to offices is very, very difficult. We never see that. So why not make housing with the qualities of an office building so we can reappropriate to all kinds of functions? Open cities are very profitable because if you look at the meatpacking district, these are loft buildings. They are, meat they are actually slaughterhouses, so the most kind of like basic functional buildings you can imagine. But they turned into shops, into residences, into offices, and apparently they created this perfect mix and dynamics of programs uh, that uh, is very profitable. If they wouldn't be so beautifully designed and have this authentic character as a, as a, as a, as a structure, they would have been demolished and we, they would be replaced by skyscrapers. So it is also the fact that they have a very strong identity and that people love these buildings 
that makes them permanent. The opposite is monofunctional areas and the way we build too many parts of our cities. Because non-open buildings delay the evolution of the built environment. So what we open cities uh, are more dynamic, diverse and inclusive. This is an example of Buikslotterham, as uh, I mentioned before, um, where part of our group um, builds different projects next to each other. And each of them has very small apartments, very large apartments, all mixed to each other. Very different people from families, singles, old, young, uh, all kind of uh, cultural backgrounds mix in these buildings because uh, the spaces allow to be subdivided into smaller units, which uh, make it, for instance, interesting for people to buy uh, a loft and then rent out part of it. But you can also see a lot of examples of people combining living and working. A Japanese example is Next21. Um, out of, because of time reasons, I'm going to go a little bit faster. I would definitely advise you to look it up. This is in Japan, by the way. Superlofts, as I said before, is built out of a structure of concrete, prefab in many cases, with a prefab CLT, cross-laminated timber floor, suspended from the ceiling. This allows you to customize these floors, uh, the spaces in any way you want, without having the problem of putting columns uh, on your, let's say, lower level. And this image really uh, shows basically the essence of open building. On the left, you see how we often build nowadays. We put all the systems into the concrete floor and then put poor concrete over it, which means you could never change the systems nor the spatial configuration anymore. And this is that you can also not recycle those the floor elements in the future because they are polluted with all kinds of systems inside. And what is the ideal model is that what you see on the right side, the shearing layer model, where you say that the outer, um, let's say the green uh, line, this is the structure that will exist for more than 100 years. Then uh, the yellow line is the roof and the facade that would stay between 25 to maybe 35, 40 years, depending on what materials you choose. The installations can be replaced after 25 years and the spatial plan after 10 years, and then you have stuff, it's called interior elements that change after one to five years. So by disconnecting these elements and systems from each other, not integrating them in systems, you allow each element to be chosen its ideal material. So some will be wood, some might be concrete, some might be steel, some might be aluminium. Every element can be designed in its ideal way. And that results in a much more circular building industry. Here you see an example of how you take these systems out of the concrete floor and make them more flexible. There's all kinds of systems uh, that allow you to make, for instance, a dry, uh, as we call a dry um, insulative uh, top uh, floor. Um, which uh, means that you can also change the floor heating system over time without having to uh, drill the, the cement out or any other material. There is this uh, metal stud wall system that is put on, 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 on feet, rubber feet, that allow you to drag your electricity uh, system flexibly in the walls instead of having it come from the ceiling, which is the traditional Dutch uh, system.
this is called cable stud, and so on. So if we uh, look at how we build today, unfortunately, a lot of the buildings that we are building today stand very long. So a lot of the buildings that we see today, for instance, from post-war uh, mass housing, they should already have been destroyed because they are not functional, people don't like them, they are, in, they are over or underused. Maybe somebody lives alone in an apartment with six bedrooms because in the 50s there were large families and now uh, there are, the people are senior and live alone or together. So we don't use the, uh, the, the, our building stock in an efficient way if you cannot adapt it. And this is unfortunate, um, so we think we should build them in a new way, in a different way that can be easily configured. In this Sikowo example from Gaga, you do see, uh, very interestingly, uh, that if you use this approach, the different elements can also be uh, circular, fitting in a circular economy, using recycled materials that can also be easily recycled or, or renewed, uh, such as uh, facade systems, interior wall systems and installations. And maybe the future will also be that you can then uh, 3D print uh, or CNC elements that you plug into your, into, your, into your support system, into your frame, such as Actual is doing uh, with their 3D printed floors and wall system, which you can design on demand online and then order them and they will be printed locally and you can customize your own space with this. And after a while, you could update that and recycle this, uh, these elements. Open buildings, like the built environment as such, are never finished. This is my own house uh, with my boyfriend and my dog. And you see that we are living there very happily in kind of like a concrete box. Um, this is interesting because uh, we noticed that by customizing it with, with nice furniture and plants and so on, and artworks, actually the space was already super, super beautiful. We don't have to put any plaster work on, on the ceilings and so on to customize this. And uh, this saved a lot of money. So we started investing face by face in this house and we are still uh, doing that. So this house is constantly being updated as we continue to live there. The function of an open building is to change its function. Function follows form. This example from May shows that uh, in the Schiecentrale, office space and apartments can be combined in the same floor. In the gallery access, uh, that circulation that, it, that you see here, uh, and the smart way of putting shafts and, um, uh, and, and, and installations that are disattached from the structure uh, allows this kind of multiple use. So the first designer of an open building is never the last. So we, these buildings are constantly in development. And not all flexible buildings are always open buildings, but open buildings are always flexible and multi-purpose. I'll leave this one to think over. If you uh, look at the capacity of openness of, openness, uh, of a building, is, it is directly related to the design of its load-bearing structure and service systems per square meter. As you see in these examples, they are all skeleton-based with bearing facades or skeleton-based uh, systems. That, and and, and the, the walls separating apartments are made out of metal stud or other, uh, let's say, more flexible materials. So the structure is reduced to a minimum. 
And this uh, also results into much more differentiated buildings. As you can see in this very nice section from Anna, every floor is completely different. So this creates this kind of mix of people that builds a unique uh, and powerful community. If we look at different examples, we see some patterns. This, let's say maybe if you look at the expression of the building, you can see this, let's say, collage approach where Silodam is maybe the first example that inspired many of us from MVRDV. And here the different units are actually, or the type of different types are actually expressed on the facade. But in this examples, you see silhouettes. So the buildings form a strong, powerful frame or silhouette, uh, but the individual units are not expressed on the facade. And in the third uh, category, there's kind of a combination of the first and the second. So in grids that are differentiated to the different use, sometimes just balconies, sometimes also the uh, articulation of uh, other facade elements that is unique for each apartment, but there is also kind of a unifying whole. Most is that interesting is that what I said before, it's really changing the way we are developing, building and designing architecture. Most of these guys and girls, unfortunately, you only see one uh, woman, but I can promise you there are more women involved <laughs> in the creation of these buildings. Um, most of them are also developing real estate themselves. We've learned this in the crisis, in the financial crisis, that we had to take risk, make uh, efforts to do something unique. And the municipality of Amsterdam allowed this uh, to happen by offering these plots of land in an, for an affordable price to innovative, sustainable initiatives. Um, and I really find it interesting that most of these people are actually now real estate developers, as well as architects. We've also started the Open Building Academy from, with TU Delft and applied uh, and HVA students, and they are learning from all these different roles. And if you are interested, please become a member of our website. Then, I'm gonna show a little bit more about the Superlofts uh, case study. So, uh, recently we, we started a new website, um, superlofts.co, and we are featuring uh, many different lofts from designed by different architects uh, in the page called Superliving. Uh, we're telling the stories of the people living there and the architects that have designed them, because there are often very uh, different companies that are involved, architects, interior designers, but also people build their own houses. They are fantastic stories. So we are filming them, uh, publishing them, and uh, it's already very interesting to see uh, as a social experiment what this is leading to. And this community is becoming more and more, um, well, stronger and stronger, and sharing more and more in information and inspiration. For instance, we are uh, at the point that uh, people that have designed a very interesting staircase and paid for it to an architect 
uh, offer this on the platform for free to download for new uh, Superloft members. And since we are doing Superlofts in different cities, uh, yeah, the ev an evolutionary process uh, starts to happen and a sharing process. Um, so you'll find on the website all these uh, different examples, large and small uh, units um, with diff for different budgets. And uh, the next step is that when we do new super lots, which we are currently doing uh, several, uh, architects can be hired um, through this website. Uh, so the architects that have designed these lofts can actually be hired by new clients to design these lofts. So these are our interior uh, design partners. And I really invite you to take a look because they're really fantastic houses for, like this one from Urban Echoes, um, which created a village inside the loft and, um, and so on. Okay, a little bit more about uh, what we're doing as MKA, because uh, we are not doing interiors anymore, but we are now focusing really on, on designing these super lots as support systems, as, as kind of like structures for others to inhabit. Uh, this is Groningen, that is uh, almost under construction, in which um, we built two volumes um, with different types, uh, larger, smaller ones. Some are for self-built, people to, to finish themselves. Some are pre-customized, people choose from a catalog. Uh, we did uh, four or five workshops with, the whole, with everyone interested to create the right mix of apartments and um, to get ideas on how people wanted to live. So every location has its unique identity, not only as in, in the expression, but also in the types of, of homes. And then we develop these kind of brochures for, with the different types and all the options that we offer. The funny thing is that um, most people are very happy just to choose from a catalog uh, between three, four, five configurations and uh, maybe 20% really wants to design their own loft. So we, need to, we needed to optimize this process to, uh, let's say, make it easy for the people that want to have a, uh, a fast route and make it uh, creative for the people that actually want the long route. Uh, so we start by showing them this image and saying, well, this is when we would offer you the house uh, empty and you would buy your own interior design elements. You, you buy a cabinet, a kitchen, a wall system and so on. But uh, if you ask one of the architects or interior architects, <laughs> it might look like this. So <laughs> this is a huge um, uh, OHA mom moment for people because they don't actually see the difference between interior design and um, buying furniture. So then the next step is to show that you can materialize this and give identity to the space and that you don't need to put plaster work, work everywhere to make a nice house. And then people, when they see this image, they are like, oh, actually, this is much nicer. I would like to work with an architect. And then we offer our network of architects to, to work with them. And in two or three uh, workshops, the homes are configured. In Horn, we are working on a new project. We won this uh, tender uh, to design this whole neighborhood uh, in Holland Quartier. And uh, we are using the loft as an inspiration for terraced houses, for the apartments, and for a tower. 
and we are customizing or transforming this factory into a mixed-use project with uh, working spaces and, and homes. This is an impression of the, of the loft apartments. This is quite of a traditional area in the Netherlands, so to introduce things like voids um, and loft elements in, in these kind of houses is quite radical, and it's going really well. People really want to make this step. Uh, so the neighborhood will, that we designed with Stephen Delva Architects uh, will have all these kind of different social spaces and community uh, services uh, spaces. And the architecture is really inspired by the lofts we did in other locations. Then we make uh, the Superlots Tower, which is this one. Uh, and there we go a little bit further in customization options and also offering people to, to design their own home. And we are using a system that you also saw in Blackjack and um, Top Up and um, Pets 22, if I'm right, which is CD20. It's a prefab concrete, uh, pretensed uh, system made out of uh, standard concrete elements that you can demount uh, or remount over time. So it's not in situ, in situ, and it makes you use much less concrete. So the building is much, much lighter, and uh, the, you can configure the spaces very easily. We put all the surface spaces inside this kind of concrete uh, stability core that has the elevators, shafts, bathrooms, technical spaces, uh, but also the toilets. So they are not movable. Uh, and the rest of the space is freed up. And this allows us to customize uh, the building in a very flexible way. So we are now testing with the developer what kind of units people want. And then we are just applying this uh, to in a development phase in a very flexible way. Then um, on the interior level, of course, you can also customize these houses. Um, we are making double the possibility to make duplexes uh, and single floor uh, units. Uh, and then uh, we work with different scenarios. So we are offering about two or three scenarios per type. Uh, and we are testing now who is interested to buy this and then update these types based on the input of the community that we are uh, crowdsourcing now. So that means that the building will be very diverse, uh, which also is expressed on the facade. That's what gives it a unique expression. So we want to ha have this diversity. It's actually uh, also an architectural concept. Uh, but it also allows all kinds of different people to uh, participate and it creates a sense of belonging because people, when you engage them in giving them really choices that are real and not just marketing bullshit, people really fall in love with, uh, with the architecture. They will feel much more connected. They have a great sense of ownership. Also for each other, they will be take better care of the building and of each other. And this will create much better social cohesion in the area at the end. This is what we noticed in all the Superlofts projects. So it's really about engagement. And then um, here you see how these different lofts can be customized. Uh, for instance, maybe this loft will be bought by a family with uh, three children, but uh, when the children move out in five years, the family changes the configuration, makes a more spacious home with a bigger void, a larger bedroom for themselves, and a study space, and reconfigures the ground floor with a kitchen moved to one side and a bigger living area. 
these things will not cost much to do because you can just move the walls. You don't need to destroy anything. Or this starter's home, uh, bought empty, uh, you just put a bed upstairs and the stairs. Then when you have some money, you build in this floor, maybe for 10,000 euros. And then uh, when you save more, you build in the rest of the house. So you can grow your house when you get more children, you, buy more, you, you, you build more spaces. Or this apartment that can be transformed from a, let's say, family apartment into an office uh, uh, studio, like a, a house with its home office connected to it. So also this kind of scenario is very popular. Maybe not from the beginning, but over time. Or you can subdivide a larger unit into smaller units when you see that it doesn't sell because it's too big. So this is kind of the setup of the floor plan, and this is an explanation on how we create this flexibility using the technical facilities in a smart uh, way. We are show using this kind of dry building systems, that dry mounted systems that I described uh, before. Um, and this results in um, the Superlofts building. And at the end, people customize their outdoor spaces. They can also choose from a uh, gallery of options. Uh, so the outdoor spaces then have all kinds of sustainability performances, such as capturing rainwater. People can grow uh, 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 gardens there. You can make a greenhouse or winter garden. And this uh, yeah, is another level of, let's say, customization that, that is important to give the building identity. Okay, so now we are talking to different developers um, in different countries because we would like to now share our knowledge in a business-to-business -business way. Um, often there are also architects or uh, people that are both designers and developers. And um, in the first way, what we do is that we consult in how to uh, develop a place based on our, let's say, library of uh, housing types and a parametric model, we can uh, customize a super-loved uh, building in multiple locations. And this is a, goes really fast, so we can do super-fast feasibility studies. Uh, so developers approach us to ask, can you do a quick test? What would be the ideal volume? What would be the ideal mix of uh, apartments on this spot? Um, and we can also offer know-how on how to develop the project. The second one is the homemaker. So this library of, of types that we have developed and that fit in all these different superlofts uh, embodies a lot of knowledge on how people can live and want to live and how you can customize this building into this ideal mix of apartments. Uh, and then we have this home configurator that allows um, the developer, but also the end user, to uh, be inspired and to pick the ideal home. And we are now looking into more innovative and healthy building systems such as uh, timber structures. And then the community maker is the third tool that we use to build communities. So we help developers with the branding and the marketing and the storytelling of their projects. 
uh, and also with building a story for shared spaces, because of course, uh, every project has its own unique facilities. Sometimes you have a shared workspace in the lobby, sometimes it's a roof terrace, sometimes it's uh, electric cars that people share in the, in the basement. You need to identify the need uh, and the market, uh, and then also uh, sell it well, because these are not obvious investments. People always think they're too expensive, but uh, we help developers build the business case. So we're now with this concept working in different cities, and uh, I'll show you some examples. This is Republika in Amsterdam Nord, Buikslauterham, this area where we are all building these kind of innovative projects in Amsterdam Nord. And I really invite you to go and check out these buildings. Um, it will, it's kind of like an architectural uh, safari. Uh, here we are combining superlofts with uh, a hotel, Horika, Horika, <laughs> sorry. I'm, a uh, restaurant and bar, rental apartments, uh, workspaces, a gym and a swimming pool on top of the roof. The concept is here to uh, create this kind of micro city with public uh, and shared spaces overlapping in this kind of high dense uh, situation. And at the same time, we are applying all kind of uh, sustainability features that create really an, a unique ecosystem uh, water recycling, uh, waste recycling, um, energy through a microgrid that pe helps people to sell electricity from one unit to another if there is an uh, overcapacity, and so on. And uh, buildings are also made partly of circular materials. So the hotel is made out of wood, the brick restaurant is made out of re reused bricks, and so on. And the idea is that all the things that you normally have in the plinth, all the, all the bad stuff like uh, logistical areas, uh, garbage, uh, technical spaces, uh, parking, we all put it underground and create this kind of pedestrian deck that uh, it really creates a new quality uh, in this in formerly industrial area of Amsterdam. It's a harbor of Amsterdam. Nothing is going on there, but this development will really kickstart it and spaces like this are imagined on the ground floor. The whole project is, was on sale three weeks ago and was completely sold out in two weeks. So apparently there's a huge demand for this kind of architecture and, and quality. So here you see the floor plan of the, of the ground floor, the deck, and here the, the rest of the development. Well, the Superloft's tower itself is made out of this diversity of types, penthouses, uh, let's say, we call this the, back, the backpack type, when it has this L shape. I, I don't know why it's called the backpack type, but it's, a, I guess, a Dutch expression. And here we took out all the um, surfaces as much as possible. Uh, well, let's say the circulation spaces are, are put onto the outside of the building. So we have the stairs and elevator externally, which then uh, allows this kind of small footprint of the tower. And we only have shafts uh, and bathroom uh, and toilets in the, in the, let's say, center zone of the building. And this allows also a, a much more open and, let's say, panoramic view approach to the, to the wall, uh, to the facade. Uh, and here you see two variations. So the units can all be customized with all kind of uh, variations per type. So people can decide if they want to have one, two, three bedrooms or have it all open and they do it themselves, etc. 
This is uh, a result of this customization process. The units are different, the outdoor spaces are different, the apartments all are unique, although they're based on a standardized and smart building system. Uh, and we, by using BIM, we can actually uh, customize these spaces in an easy way. It's not something that takes us so much time anymore. We don't have these one-on-one -on -one meetings with the clients anymore. We just use digital tools for people to customize their own house. So it becomes accessible for many more people than only the, let's say, the grassroots uh, communities. And this is one project we do in Bauxlo to Hammer Tender. We won for uh, one of the most circular uh, mixed rental developments in Amsterdam. It's going to be built almost fully of wood, of timber, CLT probably. Uh, it has vertical gardens that allow the community that's going to live there to, to grow their own food and to meet each other. There will be a cafe and restaurant uh, that is potentially also operated by people uh, renting apartments there as a way to um, to save or to, to, to contribute, let's say, a discount on their rent. So it is really a community-driven project. At the same time, it's also a commercial project. Here you see the same kind of diagrams about sustainability, uh, the flexibility that we are offering. Um, so we're making 42 square meter units, but they can also be linked horizontally and vertically in the future into bigger units because it might be that we are not forever going to want to live in very small spaces, and maybe there is a time that people with children and families uh, can afford to rent a bigger, a bigger unit, so maybe then you can connect them vertically or horizontally. And these ideas are now also uh, transposed to other projects we're doing. This is Suifer in Eindhoven. It's a sustainable community uh, in the periphery of Eindhoven, another tender that we won last year for 40 apartments grouped in, uh, let's say, three clusters, all built out of CLT uh, and all customizable with, uh, let's say, different layouts. And the last but not least is a project I have co-developed myself with a partner in Almere Noorderplassen. Another tender that we did, that we won last year, a uh, fantastic location uh, at, the, at, the, at the shore uh, side, at the shore of the lake. Uh, we make these kind of uh, apartments that have fantastic views and outdoor spaces, and uh, they are facing this kind of new natural, well, this, this lake. Um, and then we are offering uh, a lot of diversity in types in the first place, but secondly, uh, each unit can be customized. So here you see different layouts for the different apartments. Some have a, a void that connects upper and lower level that makes it possible to, for instance, create a more open uh, flow of program to fl uh, than if you subdivide the whole space. And that's it. I would like to thank you very much for your attention and uh, if you're interested to know more about Superlofts, please visit superlofts.co. Uh, thank you very much.
Well, thank you very much, Mark. I mean, that was quite a tour de force, particularly after <laughs> running the um, Open Building Summit on the Festival Hall stage. <clears throat> but what strikes me, both from what I saw on, on that stage and through your talk, um, is that you've more or less cracked a series of, of problems which have been dogging both architecture and particularly the housing market for, for, for decades. And that is that you've allowed, you've devised a way of making buildings you know, through architecture which has a sufficient degree of flexibility to meet different budgets and different needs. Um, and, you know, you, you reference a little bit of Le Corbusier, but I, I think of the uh, house at the Weissenthal ceiling, not the one that's amazing on Citroën, the one that's just down the hill from it, where you've got all these wonderful flexible open spaces, um, but you also have, under the stairs, a little room for the maid. So there's still, you know, a, a, a notion of bourgeois convention in that. And I think you've done away with that, although there are new bourgeois conventions emerging, of course, and they may or may not be a good thing. But I think what you've done is to show how the dream of flexibility, affordability, a sustainable lifestyle, a rewarding social life and a communal life uh, can be uh, achieved in a way that doesn't... that interacts in a beneficial way with the normal patterns of life. And that seems to me to be an extraordinary achievement and for which you deserve, you and your colleagues, real congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you. Get your project certified with FSC. For more information, visit fsc.org forward slash architecture and follow FSC International on social media.